Brands and Brews. All right. This is the Brands and Brews Marketing Podcast, where we talk about marketing all while drinking beer. My name is Jesse McFarland, and we have a guest today. We have Demand Gen Pro in the B2B software space and co-founder of OmniLab. Did I say that right? OmniLab. You, you did. You did. Welcome. Nailed How's it. it going, man? Yeah, this Nailed is, uh, it. and it's Jonathan, Jonathan Bland. He's here with us. So, exactly. um, thanks for joining. Um, so, of course, we're going to talk about um, demand generation today in, in the B2B space and um, in software space too, of course. But before we jump in, let's talk about what we're drinking. You want to start? Sure, sure. So what I've got here is the Lagunitas IPA. Nice. Have you had this one? Oh, of course. It's pretty much like the standard straight up Lagunitas. I'd pretty much drink like any of the Lagunitas stuff. But the only thing I can tell you about the uh, about the history of the beer is that I know that they're in Petaluma, California. And I know that they weren't there originally. I believe they were somewhere else and they moved out to Petaluma after they were like doing a ton of different beers. But they started out with just like one. Of course, as any brewery does, they... Had more and more and more, so they moved out to Petaluma. Other than that, I couldn't tell you much other than the beer's delicious. And this one's probably my favorite. There's another one that I'm forgetting the name of that I'd have to I'd have to honestly Google it legitimately to, to remember what it is. But um, but that's what I can tell you about my beer, like a really high level, unless you want to dig in some other stuff. About, no, that's about perfect. Lagunitas. Uh Lagunitas. Yeah. You can pretty much get that, I think, almost anywhere. In the U.S., I would imagine. I think I've even had that Just on the about. East Coast, of course. So it's it's a popular beer, and it's a good beer, and that's why yeah. it's popular, right? I'm also just realizing it's a subsidiary of Heineken, so there's hmm. another thing. Didn't know that. Uh, they bought 50% of the company back in 2015, so look at that. There you go. There you go. Interesting. Well, that's Interesting. a good way to make money. Um, yeah. I'm drinking a, a, a beer from Alaskan Brewery. Uh, it's an Alaskan uh-huh. Amber. It's a... Um, I feel like Alaskan brewery has been uh, around forever. I um, I grew up in the Northwest part of the country, and we mm-hmm. always had Alaska uh, Alaskan beer as far as long as I can remember. So, huh. um, it's a an alt style ale. So, like alt means it's a um, I think it's a German word for old, and basically uh-huh. it just means that they brew it for a very long time. <laughs> what, what's it called? What's it called again? What's the name and, of the beer? Uh, it's an Alaskan. Uh, it's from Alaskan Brewing Company, and it's um, it's just a an amber. I think is just the uh, the name there. So, um, or the name of the style of the beer. So it's a- interesting. I don't even know if I've had an Alaskan beer ever, or maybe I have and I've just not realized it. But I certainly haven't had that one before. But it, do it, they? Is that one produced pretty much just anywhere? Like I mean, like I, down in DC, you think they do it? I don't know. I know I've had it. On, I'm in Colorado, so I got in Colorado. And yeah. I know if I've had it a lot in huh. the Northwest, so I've had it in places, but I don't know if I've had it on the East Coast when I've traveled there. Um, Interesting. It's a cool can. Their their cans are slightly different than from the norm. It's almost like a it's like a fatter type of can. Um, uh-huh. It's um, pretty unique. So textured on the top, you and know? it's textured on the top. Yeah, oh, it's so, so fancy. Yeah, it's fancy. So. Uh, I don't know. I like it. It's uh, I've got I've got real gold rimming on mine. This is, this is not just paint. It's real gold rimming. So pay extra for this in the Lagunitas. <laughs> nice, very nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, let's go ahead and jump in. So uh, we love to talk to entrepreneurs in this show. Um, we do a lot, and 
one of the things I always like to enjoy is to hear how someone became an entrepreneur because everyone's got a unique story. Do you have um, something you could share with us on on your journey on on co-founding your business? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, even starting before that. Um, so interestingly, I was a web designer uh, way back in the day, and I did uh, websites for companies all around. I was living in Leesburg, Virginia. I think it was only, I don't know, 16 or 17 years old was kind of my first little own gig. So a buddy of mine got together. We started literally with front page uh, was what we used. Uh, Super old school, even before, I think Dreamweaver was kind of around at that point um, or coming to, but we uh, hadn't used that. But anyway, front page was kind of what we built it in and started building a few web pages. We made, I think, I think we made like a thousand bucks on a couple sites or something. We felt like awesome about it and said, this is great. You know, we're making some money. And then fast forward a little bit further onto that, I worked for a couple of big companies, but then immediately dove into uh, the startup space and worked for a couple of different VC-backed uh, SaaS businesses. Most of them were in their like seed to series A range. So I started really getting a feel for, you know, what it was like working at a startup, like within one uh, itself, wearing all the multiple hats, et cetera. And then went out on my own uh, after um, Stitch Labs I was at, uh, they got acquired by Square and then decided to move on from that and say, hey, why don't I actually start, you know, my own company, would work with a lot of SaaS companies. And honestly, it's one of those things that happens very organically. But basically what happened is after after Stitch was said, started consulting with a couple of different companies and one, one thing led to another. And ultimately, you know, those companies said, hey, you know, we'd like to kind of come on, you know, and do this more permanently. So I just started making this thing a, a consulting career, got together with a buddy of mine, Jason. He was also a longtime digital marketer, worked agency life for a while, uh, much more technical even than I am. So we got together and said, hey, let's do this. And then, uh, you know, again, one thing led to another. And then now here we are with uh, a whole bunch of clients in the B2B SaaS space doing demand gym. So, so that's a little bit about, I guess, uh, the journey in general. But I've always been addicted to, to startups. I think the amount that you can learn in them is doesn't even compare to what you can learn in a corporate company. Uh, so, I mean, I've just picked up so much knowledge across so many different areas uh, because ultimately, like, you're the only one that's responsible. And if you don't do it, there's not anyone else that will. So I think that that's probably the biggest benefit of, like, getting into into that space. But, uh, but yeah, it's fun. And then, of course, we work with a lot of startups too, right? So now I'm seeing not only building my own startup, but then we're helping run uh, marketing and demand gen for a bunch of other startups. So then I'm getting it exposed to all the different things that they're struggling with, product problems, pricing, all sorts of things that we end up kind of talking with them just because we don't just really do demand gen. We're still consulting with them on a, a variety of different things. So, so yeah, that's kind of, I guess, the high level story. So kind of like web designer to, uh, I even did a product, couple of product companies that we could get into that uh, completely failed and some learnings from that. And then ultimately OmniLab, which is more services business right now. So awesome. Awesome. Um, and one thing I like about the startup world is you, you, um, compared to like uh, corporate is you, you kind of forced to focus on the right things or to focus on the, the most important things. So for an example, in the startup world, you're in demand generation, which we'll talk about further here in a minute. You're focusing more on the bottom line, which would be more like revenue because you got to do what you can to stay in business. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the corporate world, you know, a demand generation, you might be on the um, the MQL hamster wheel where it's just about you're so far off from whatever revenue, you're just trying to hit uh, pretend pipeline numbers. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, so that's why I always enjoy the startup world too. And it's something I, I 
miss at times now that I'm a little more of a corporate type of environment. But um, yeah, so yeah. Uh, I get what you're saying there. And it's cool that you now that you kind of create your own startup to work with startups. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot there. And then we're actually working on a product as well internally. So we're going to obviously uh, launch that hopefully towards the latter portion of this year, which will be uh, a product around repurposing content is uh, what it's going to be. So we actually oh, cool. did kind of like a little soft kind of um, launch and display of uh, sort of the idea and what we were thinking about doing on a Clearbit webinar actually last week um, and talking about some of the struggles and problems with repurposing content. So. So anyway, it'd be kind of exciting to see that that come to fruition as well. So not just services, but figure out a better way to actually scale what we do, not just on humans, but also uh, from a product perspective. So, so is that um, now you you just you spiked an in interest? Is that um, s something just getting more getting more efficiency out of your own content? Is that what the purpose of that product would be? Yeah. Well, so I'll just kind of give you the little story behind it. I mean, like the the general problem that a lot of SaaS businesses have that we always encounter is that they have created a really good piece of long form content. Like say it could be a webinar. Let's just use a webinar as a good example right now. I was just going to say that. Yeah. So you, you got a good webinar. But then what happens is the typical flow is what you'll do is you'll obviously do the pre-promotion of that webinar. You might use paid, email, organic, whatever ways you want to get attendance to it. Then you get your registrations, people show up to the event live, and then after that, obviously, there's attrition on that. Let's say that 20-30% of the actual total amount of people that registered actually come onto the webinar. And then after that, what most do, we'll put their, uh, well, they'll put that webinar on the website, and then they'll sit on the website either gated, ungated, and that'll be it, right? That's like the end of the story. So all this great content that they probably spent a lot of time preparing for, got speakers together, the whole thing, right, has not gotten to use at all. So. Most companies have a lot of content just sitting on their website that could be potentially repurposed and put into other pieces of content. And a very simple example is like literally like there's a, I can probably share a slide maybe later or share it after the this podcast, but there's some very simple math you can just think about with if you were just to literally take two or three clips from that webinar, break them up, redistribute them out, whether it be paid or organic or both then you could like five times, 10 times, 20 times the amount of consumption on that content, but no one's doing that. What they're doing is they're looking for the next piece of content. They're saying, oh, we need something new. And it might be that maybe, of course, you can't keep repeating the same piece of content every single day or every single week, but that content people are gonna forget. So bringing it back up again. So what we're doing is we're creating a product that essentially automatically starts clipping that all together and all the different formats, and then obviously gets it out into all the different social media platforms because it seems like just about every one of our clients needs help doing this. Uh, so it's just one of those things by by need, right, which is the best way to ultimately build a product, which is like we've already got clients that already want this, already want to use it. So it's just a matter of uh, making that all work. And we could start out obviously doing it from a services perspective first and then obviously build it into a product. So that's the that's the general kind of idea. Uh, I mean, smart move. Um smart move for a product because I, I know that's a, I think every, just about most, I would say demand gen or marketing people understand that that's what they kind of intend to do. Um, yeah. and then they don't do it. Um, and I've been there. F I'm, I'm one of those people, right? So I'm like, yeah, we're going to repurpose this. Of course we are. Um, and then you let it sit on the website and then it never, you never do anything. With well, it's it. tough. It's, it's, <laughs> so, a, it's a time thing. It, it's just tough. It just takes right. time and you got to think about it. You got to look through the webinar. You got to figure out what are the highlights, what are the things you want to pull out of it. Then you've got to cup it, uh, clip it up, subtitle it, headline it, get it into the formats that it needs to be for the different places that you actually want to put it, create a campaign on paid, 
uh, all, all sorts of things depending on how you want to distribute it. So, so it, I mean, it's like no wonder people don't do it. It's, it just takes, it takes time. But it's kind of like if you think about the time it would take to repurpose it versus creating a new piece of content every time, the time is certainly less than repurposing. Right. So, so that's one way to think about it too. But Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, look forward to hear more about that because that's definitely um, uh, a need I think anybody would have, or yeah. just about anybody in our in the demand gen world or marketing world has, especially in the B2B space. Oh, 100%. Or, um, cool. Let's talk about demand generation. So um, demand generation is um, one of those terms that I think is kind of funny because um, I always like to ask people what it means or to, to define it. And um, I always notice that everyone's kind of have a, their slightly own version of the definition mm -hmm. of demand gen. What's your de definition of demand gen? So, and I think you, uh, you and I may have even talked about this on my podcast. I'm trying to remember, but um, but at any rate, uh, demand gen for me is really just an umbrella term for creating and capturing demand for any business. Period. That's my that's my daughter in the background, probably if she can hear. Call <laughs> uh, my wife to. Uh, close the door. Um, but, uh, but, but that, that's really a thing. And I mean, ultimately you could really even roll it up and just call it marketing. I mean, there's so many terms and I think we were going to get into this too, but there's ABM, there's Legion, there's ABX, there's all of these different variations of different things. And most of them are really just tactics. Now, the one thing that's different about demand gen, I think for me, that is different than the typical kind of like marketing definition is that generally demand gen is more full funnel, right? So you're not just focused on some of the top level leading indicators, but you're really trying to actually affect the full funnel all the way from lead to revenue. And then also potentially after, right? When you're thinking about upsell and expansionary activities as well, I think demand gen still plays that full circle. So it's really more of a bow tie than it is a funnel. Uh, if you want to think about it visually. So that that's how I think about it. So you're, you're really going in and you're saying, hey, not only do we need to generate leads, we need to do that. We also need to create demand for the business, but we need to make sure that we're doing it efficiently so that we don't just want to send a whole bunch of leads that are not necessarily a good fit for sales, but make sure that their quality, that the conversion rate from lead to op is strong, that we're generating the right pipeline numbers to meet our targets and the right revenue numbers, et cetera. So that, that's my simple definition. But uh, we can get into, I guess, Legion, ABM, and some other things if you want to go that direction as well. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Um, and I like that you, you've kind of, or at least explained a little bit, the difference between between demand generation and marketing because they're generally close to the same thing. But I think demand gen probably has a little bit more of a, of a focus on the ultimate result. Would mm -hmm. you agree with that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I generally agree. I mean, it, I think it's difficult though because I mean, ultimately, maybe historically that's been the case for marketing, but that's marketing should always. I mean, I guess I just have this kind of like idealistic view, I suppose, where marketing should have always been focused on pipeline revenue. If they weren't doing that, then what were they doing before? And it's not to say that like different campaigns have different objectives, right? Um, meaning, like, how do you evaluate the success off that campaign, like right in the beginning? So you might have a brand awareness campaign where the goal is to get increased consumption on a couple of pieces of content, right? So you may be looking at time on page and session length, things like that. And that may be like the ultimate like kind of core leading indicators you look at. At the end of the day, though, all of this rolls back to pipeline of revenue. Anyone at the top CEO, investor, I don't care who you are. No one cares about brand awareness like just as a thing in general. They care about brand awareness that creates demand for the business. So to me, like... If marketing wasn't doing that before, then shame on them. I think now we're all kind of coming back to this reality of like, okay, demand gen's important. We're all, I mean, you see so many more titles now with people demand gen in them. Uh, everyone's talking about ABM. Uh, oh, let's make sure we talk to sales to align on the same accounts they're actually going after. That'd be smart. 
and create content messaging that resonates with them. I mean, to me, like these things are just kind of like obvious no brainer, like why weren't we doing this before type of thing. Uh, me also going from, by the way, from a sales background where ABM was like, that's what we did is mm -hmm. target accounts, direct mail, cold email, whatever, whatever it is and, and went after them. So. Perfect. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about that. So what's, how does uh, demand gen and ABM differ? So in, in fact, why don't you start with your definition of ABM um, and then and then see and let's um, talk about how they are different from demand gen, if at all. For me, again, I think ABM is, is a is a strategy and or a tactic or really both underneath demand gen. I mean, for example, I mean, we're a demand gen agency. It's not like ABM is a separate thing that we don't do at all. It's just ABM for uh, for us is give us a set of target accounts that we have agreement upon with sales that these are the right accounts that we want to go after, right? So that's really important. That you've got alignment from sales and marketing, like, hey, these are the target accounts we want to go after that we feel are the best fit to convert. Then it's creating messaging and or content that actually aligns specifically with those target accounts and usually grouped in some logical formation, not obviously going after one account with one piece of content. That wouldn't scale, be impossible. Uh, but figuring out things that are related to those accounts and then creating content and or messaging as it relates to them. And then obviously coordinating activities between sales and marketing. So that might be marketing's giving air cover from a paid media perspective, targeting the same exact accounts with content that's similar to what sales is going to be talking about in their cold emails or some of their outreach. It means that marketing might be posting something organic on social media. And that again aligns also with the same type of strategy. So it's really just to me at the end of the day, it's using more of a target account list approach where you're thinking about accounts and then it's getting sales and marketing in the same room to work together and then aligning messaging and content like that's it. But to me, again, like that's just good marketing. I mean, that that's what you should yeah. be doing in a demand gen program anyway. Even if it's firmographic based targeting, if I said I was going to go after, you know, engineers or something like that and that was my persona, obviously I'd want to be creating good content that engineers love and messaging that engineers are going to resonate with. <laughs> And ultimately, make sure that the firmographic criteria I'm using for, say, if it's LinkedIn or something, if I'm doing paid media, that that's like aligned with our ICP and like sales agrees with it. I mean, <laughs> to me, like these things are kind of basic. And I'd love to hear if like you've got a differing opinion, we can kind of go back and forth on it. But some folks just make uh, ABM this much bigger thing than it is. And most of this is really because of, uh, you know, ABM, um, you know, tech vendors and whatnot. So. Yeah, at ABM is one of those terms. It, it, it actually still kind of ticks me off whenever I hear it. But I hear it all the time. I just got a, a message from one of our um, uh, uh, my chief revenue officer today. We have our QBR coming up, and I need to provide a, a slide on ABM, of course. And sure, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to provide a slide on one of my thousand marketing campaigns. That's the way I look at it. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you've so, got all sorts of different. You might have a firmographic campaign that's like broader and wider, uh, where the message is maybe potentially a, a little bit more applicable to a broader audience. And then you've got campaigns that are very, very specific, where you might have 500 accounts in a given industry where you've got really, really great content specifically for, specifically for that group of people. And that's it. So, yeah, I don't know. I think honestly, people are just making this too complicated. And especially for the types of companies that we work with. I mean, if you're like a seed stage or series B and anyone who's, you know, in that stage, like listening to this, I mean, make this easier on yourself. Like marketing doesn't need to be extremely difficult. In fact, the simpler it is, the easier it will be to execute. So like, that's the biggest thing for me is I'm always trying to figure out, hey, everyone's heard about these crazy complex funnels and strategies and all these acronyms. 
let's kind of boil that down to like really like the fundamentals, right? And the fundamentals usually are pretty similar. They, they don't change too much. It's the little tactics and the ways that we approach it. That's the stuff that changes that we kind of create new words for. So, yeah, A- ABM is like, uh, for me, what I describe or try to simplify it is like you identify who you're targeting um, specifically, and then you um, personalize the message and then build a relationship, right? Yeah. And and really, that's no different from any other freaking campaign I'm doing. Um, other than this campaign, I'm, I'm targeting, you know, uh, in the sales world, we would say whales, right? Sure. So um, that's typically what, what an ABM plan is. And, and that's why so many leaders are interested in it. It's like, we got to get our bigger s- sales groups. But the problem is if mm-hmm. you focus, over-focus on ABM, it's a small little group of people. And then you're really banking on, Plus, they have longer sales cycles, mm-hmm. right? So you're really banking on trying to win one of those. And if you focus too much of the resources and and then you're ignoring all your other campaigns from mm-hmm. your demand gen world, that's going to cost you revenue because the other ones probably could be quicker sales funnels or, or there's a much more broader approach where you can actually land deals. So um, it's one of those terms that always irritates me because I feel like it's we're chasing a term instead of you know, it's just another marketing strategy, right? I mean, I forget <laughs> who did it. I don't know if it was Six Sense or someone else, but they somehow managed to write a 350-page book on just ABM. Um, I, I kind of skimmed through it. I was just a little bit horrified that you found the words to talk that yeah. much about one type of specific thing. I mean, it, it but ultimately- then again, it could have it been easy. They could have just uh, uh, found a marketing book. And uh, just uh, just did a copy and changed the words from marketing to ABM. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, they're like, oh yeah, so targeting is really important. I'm like, when is targeting not important in marketing? Right. I, I can't think of a good example. So, and they're like, then make sure you got a good message that aligns with the audience. Yeah, that's every marketing campaign content, same thing. You know, so yeah. Again, there's like the fundamentals that really never change. It's just again, like I think it's a level of like how specific do you want to be, and that's where ABM is. Usually, to your point, if you're going after a big whale account, if it's Oracle or Salesforce or some really, really big enterprise account that you're trying to close, you might put a lot more horsepower behind it and create campaigns specific to that for this, that specific account or a group of accounts that relate to each other. So. Yeah, I almost feel like ABM is like um, the term of like maybe this year or this year or this era, when, and then last year or the last era's term was lead generation. And yeah. let's talk about that because it's still <laughs> important because. If you're, um, um, and I, I fit this mold too, like if you're in a the demand gen world, especially in a, in a corporate world, it's all about your leads. That's how we, um, our, that's how we really simplify the, the, how important marketing is because marketing brings in so much stuff. It can help with inbound sales. It can even help with the outbound sales. Helps with the entire corporation because there's a branding component of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, or the reputation of a business. It does so many different things, but um, to really simplify how well your marketing department do is like you can go well we, let's create a lead quota form right um, and and to me that's what lead generation is do you want to talk about your definition of lead generation yeah I mean <clears throat> I mean I guess at the core of it I guess it's like the like the name states it's where you typically have a measure of success that's focused on predominantly generating leads and that's it right the the optimization metric is not pipeline revenue or other it's purely how do we typically drive the lowest cost per lead for the highest quantity of leads. 
And, you know, generally like lead gen would be associated a lot of times with Google ads, for example, because generally the way that people run Google ads is a capture channel. You're typically going after keywords with good intent or high intent, where there's modifiers like software, platform, pricing tool, things of that nature, where someone's clearly like has a lot of interest where they're likely just to convert potentially right off the spot because they're already in market versus other things that might be related more to Mangen is like, hey, this audience is cold. They've never heard of me before. I need to build up a little bit of awareness of who I am first, what I do, and then actually see if I can solve some of the problems that they might have today, some of the questions that they're trying to figure out through content. So I think those would be the biggest things there. But I would say one thing, uh, you can add to that if you want, but I would say one thing about leads is like there's nothing wrong with like leads. I mean, I, we still track leads and, you know, you still have to reverse engineer how many leads you need even off of like good conversion rates of the funnel. Because, so, I mean, you need leads to get pipelines. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's all about making sure, though, that you're optimizing for the right metric. And I think that's the point. So the measure of success is really what's, I think, changed over the last, you know, handful of years. And most marketing teams now are being accountable more towards pipeline and revenue. It's not a lead number anymore. It's not cost per lead that they're really trying to focus on is the, is the optimal metric. Unless that cost per lead metric is, is uh, reverse engineered to revenue. In that case, it's completely fine. Obviously, you're going to have a cost per lead that you need to hit because you've got to think about the conversion rate from lead to revenue. And then as long as you've got that, you know, taken into consideration, then completely fine. So those are my, I guess, general thoughts on it. I'll let you kind of chime in when you go back and forth. My, I think I think you nailed it. I mean, I don't have a problem with leads. To me, leads are just another KPI, right? So it's just a, another KPI that you can use. Um, yeah, um, exactly. It's just another data point, but it's not the ultimate. I think um, you said metrics or six metrics uh successful metric um measure of success yeah measure of success thank you yeah. yeah so um but if you can show a consistent story between a lead and how it turns into revenue then now that's something with a little bit more value oh 100 um, percent. yeah exactly yeah. and that, that's the key right so like we, we all know we need leads every company needs leads and they generally need more of them the key is those they need more of the quality ones that fit the icp that have intent and right. if we get more of those, then those will all have, excuse me, higher conversion rates to the funnel. So that'll actually pan out into the right metrics that we generally want to optimize for as least of demand marketers, which is pipeline and revenue. So, so you know, we still need those things to happen. Uh, it's just that we don't want to focus on driving the wrong types of interactions and the wrong types of leads and delivering those to sales when they're really not even ready. Because I was one of those people. I mean, I was mm -hmm. the guy that was following up on ebook leads at one point. Uh, I was following up on all sorts of content downloads and events and whatnot. And I remember I just tuned it out at one point. I just said, you know what? This isn't even worth it. And I started turning away those leads. And it formed like a lot of like bad uh, trust with, uh, with you know, our, my sales team and with marketing because we knew that they were just giving a shit. It was like, oh, what are these guys even doing? You know, like right. they, they keep sending us stuff that like doesn't like none of these people want to talk to us. So we just sit here spinning around our wheels. So I was like, instead of doing that, I'm just going to go out and you know, actually find, find who I need to talk to and, you know, uh, find people that actually are interested. So, yeah, and I think it all boils down to is I think the 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 rant I would have with leads. We had a good rant with ABM, by the way, just naturally. Oh, good, um, perfect. <laughs> if we had, if we had a good rant with leads, I think my rant would just be like, it's important, but I think um, uh, a lot of businesses overfocus on it because that's how they evaluate the marketing department. When yeah. we all know that. Uh, if you're a marketer, you know that it, it, it's a lot more than that. So yep. I think that's my my beef with leads. I know they're important, but it's more of quality of leads and how they turn into revenue. Yeah, it's about, I th and I think to, to some, it's like about that measure of success. What are you actually measuring? How are you measuring the success of marketing? That changes literally everything. 
if your measure of success is leads, obviously, what, what are you going to try to optimize for? Lower cost per lead. More leads, less money. That's great. I'm doing my job. I blew out my lead number. So like the measure of success really just changes everything in terms of the tactics as well, too. Um, and then, of course, there's then there's like how you define a lead, right? Which, you know, that that is 32. <laughs> That's a completely different story. <laughs> 32 definitions for a lead, right? And by the way, they change monthly depending on your goals and where you are to target. So you're like, wait yeah. a minute, we're a little bit short on goal. Let's just uh, reduce the quality a little bit. We'll call all these guys lead. That's fine. We'll pull them all through. <laughs> yeah, so. and that's that's the ultimate. If you're a if you're a veteran leader or marketing leader, you know how to change the story in your favor. Oh yeah, because um, oh, that's yeah. how you became a leader, right? Hundred percent. Because because in marketing, you don't always win. You just perceive like you are winning all the time, yep. <laughs> or at least you're very confident enough that you are winning all the time. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'll do. I do that all the time. Yeah, like oh, this metric looks really low. Let's actually focus on this one over here. This is great. Yeah. Visits, impressions, way up. Pipeline. Not sure about that one. Let's not talk about that. That's it's the right. ugly brother over there. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about uh, your business. So, Omni Labs Consulting. Um, uh, what would you say are the challenges with your uh, customer base? So that would be um, startups. Are they're software startups, right? Yeah, all software, all computer software. Mm-hmm. Great. What's when when it comes to demand gen? On how we just explain that. What are, what yeah. are the challenges there? Uh, well, I'd always say the number one, like the biggest challenge that all of them have, not necessarily like our existing client base per se, but just I'll speak in general with like the people that we generally serve is like understanding your customer well enough to actually create really really good compelling content and messaging that actually resonates is the biggest thing. And uh, you know, I think. We say this all the time on LinkedIn and all over the place, right? You know, customer, customer, customer. But I mean, it really can't be said enough because everything breaks down in terms of any type of like paid strategy. For example, we do predominantly paid media. We can't be successful if the customer doesn't understand their customer well enough to communicate how we should be messaging and create good content that actually asks or answers questions or is interesting to whoever we're doing it. Like the campaign's not going to be successful. So it's not hey, what can OmniLab do for me to drive leads and pipeline? It's basically like use us as an instrument to deploy out a strategy and execute something that makes sense with the content and messaging that you provide us. So that's the number one challenge, I think, is really having enough understanding and having someone who's ultimately an SME inside your organization because a lot of times the challenge is marketers are not selling to marketers. And if you're not selling to marketers, then that makes it very challenging to understand who you're marketing to, right? You haven't been in that job before. So you may not have right. the backgrounds. So if you're selling to data scientists or developers and you've never been one before, well, that's that could be pretty challenging, right? So you've got to navigate that. So that's where someone who's the SME, whether it's the founder or someone else in the company that truly understands the customer so you can create amazing content for them is is probably going to be the biggest thing. Um, so that's, that's probably number one. The, the second one that I'd say, and I'll stop and we can riff back and forth on it, but the second one is uh, obsession about attribution. Is, is the biggest one. And we all talk about this a lot online and every marketer's, this is every marketer's problem, right? We all, we would love perfect attribution if it existed, right? Where the world is black and white. We knew if we put a nickel over here, we knew that we could get three more out over here, et cetera, right? Mm. But that doesn't happen, never does. It's only getting harder with iOS 14. You've got ad blockers, people not accepting cookies, all sorts of things. So the, the struggle is everyone wants to know that like, hey, we started running LinkedIn ads with you What's the ROI? What's the return just from this one channel? 
And the, the difficulty I have is that if you think about the B2B buying journey, right, and think about how you bought software, if like anyone who's listening to this, if I said like, you know, walk me through the process last time you bought software, you might remember probably two or three of those touch points. You probably forgot the rest because why would you remember anyway? But if you really thought about it, you'd be like, oh, wow, like shit, I did a ton of things. I went to G2. You know, I opened up an email from an SDR. I saw an ad. I did XYZ things, right? So there's all these different touch points. And just because LinkedIn, the person actually finally clicked the ad, uh, converted within the conversion window, which, by the way, of course, is variable depending on how you set it up in LinkedIn. When they actually convert it, then it's like LinkedIn gets the credit for that. And all of a sudden, you're going to say, yeah, LinkedIn did it. Like, this channel's amazing. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm a big proponent of let's measure what we can measure, clearly. Let's measure what we can, but really look at the aggregate funnel. And that's mm. what we tell a lot of our clients is like, hey – We'll clearly look and understand how much, how many leads um, and as well as pipeline revenue, et cetera, LinkedIn and all these given channels are creating, but we're not going to over obsess about it and say we're going to make complete decisions on one channel or another because one channel did this or that. Because most of the things that we're doing are demand gen type of activities where we're creating demand with usually ungated content a lot of times or value props or events or something like that, where it's not as easy to say, yeah, LinkedIn did it. So I'll stop myself there so we can go back and forth, but... Those are probably the two biggest things we probably talk about the most. Way too much time talking about attribution and people that just don't understand their customer well enough to create awesome content that drives demand. So how do you how do you measure your what's your metric for success in, in that situation? Ultimately for us, so we have a, uh, I think I shared it actually uh, this week of a spreadsheet that we use. So first thing we'll do is uh, we usually have an aggregate uh, spreadsheet which pulls in uh, everything from cost clicks, leads, pipeline, revenue, and then conversion metrics between. So it's just kind of like a little demand generation mm -hmm. spreadsheet. And that's essentially all sources, right? So it doesn't matter what lead source it is. We want to look at the aggregate inbound funnel and how we're affecting it because we know that some of those interactions are not going to be easily tracked. And then after that, what we're doing is then we're breaking that down by paid media. And then we'll do the same exact metrics, but then lead source paid media, usually on a first and last touch basis which is usually what most CRMs are capable of doing right out of the box. Uh, but ultimately for us, like our measure of success is, is usually pipeline and revenue, combination of the two. So that's what we're looking at. And we're saying, hey, what's, a, what's the pipeline goal? What's the revenue goal? And are we hitting those goals or not? And, and that's, that's kind of how we judge our success, very simply, against that Excellent. spreadsheet. So Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot um, of sense. Um, and, then, uh, and then explaining that story in, in that way is, um, is that a challenge for your customers to get them to understand that, Hey, this is not without us. Um, this wouldn't happen. The bottom line wouldn't be as good as, as you see here. Um, is that a challenge for you guys to, to share that or, or not? Oh, it's always a challenge. I mean, I think it, <laughs> it, 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 I guess it depends. Like, I mean, I don't know some people who, you know, that I'm connected with on LinkedIn, a lot of times we'll like get people that already know me a little bit on, on content I create on LinkedIn. So they already have a good, feeling of my thoughts on how things should run. So sometimes when we get an inbound lead for Omni, I don't really have to have that big conversation, but occasionally it'll come up and you'll get someone that says, hey, we just need to drive a bunch of leads and we need to know that they came from this channel and X, Y, Z. And so then you have to kind of like take a step back and say, all right, you know, well, walk me through how you buy software. Walk me through right. the things that you do. And I just try to do it instead of like ranting, like I'm a little bit ranting right now. I try to just ask a few questions, right? And get them to think about it, like think about their own experience. And even think about, for example, like how they found me. And I was like, well, how did you find me? I was like, oh, I saw one of your LinkedIn posts the other day. It's like, okay, well, 
in my HubSpot, it says you came in from direct. You know, you just typed in OmniLab into the into the URL. So then technically, I shouldn't get credit for that, right? I mean, like, we shouldn't count that <laughs> as like, you know, something that Omni helped generate at all. You know what I mean? Anyway, the point is, is like you use these examples to like get them to think about it. So yeah, it's definitely a challenge always. But I try to, you know, focus on the people that ultimately are already kind of sold on the idea that not everything can be perfectly attributed and that we're going to measure what we can is always what I say. We'll measure everything we can, but we're going to look at the aggregate marketing funnel. And Hey, if you're down with that, then like, let's giddy up and go. And most of our, and of course, all of our clients, you know, buy into that. So, right. Yeah. I, I have most of my careers has been in the agency environment and, um, but most, uh, my customer base was always small businesses so um uh, or medium-sized businesses and mostly brick and mortar so but the the challenges were exactly the same as you just described there is yeah we can um you can't really show people walking in your door even though maybe they found us on google or found you on google and then they um read the reviews and um maybe went to your website and read all the stuff about it and then they walked in your door and they bought from you or they bought your service or whatever. And then they left. Um, that's a, that's revenue directly from, from our efforts, but we can't show that. Right. So it's convincing the, um, the customer, uh, more business owner that, Hey, these metrics are growing from your marketing efforts. They're, they're contributing to your overall bottom line. And if you've noticed that your bottom line is going up since you've started working with us, then you know that marketing is working. However, it's really hard to sh uh, share that story sometimes, especially when you have thousands of customers where I've worked in places where that was the case. <laughs> yeah, completely. I mean, yeah, I think that uh, I was just realized I was a mute. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a challenge, but I think once you get into it and you really start looking at, you know, I mean, frankly, you could, there's other attribution tools out there that you can use that will at least capture like, you know, pixeled trackable events that go to your website. And you can start seeing all the interactions that happen across that buying journey. Um, whether or not you want to use one of those tools, most of our clients don't use them um, because ultimately we just we still know that, like, even if we knew all of that information, I'm not sure what we would do with it. I mean, all we'd know is that they had exposure to a number of different touch points in general, and everyone's buying journey is honestly very, very different. So even when we look at specific account journeys, it's like everyone's got a few different you know channels in there and different orders. So it's like, mm -hmm. I don't know what I would do with that minus have the reassurance and knowing that, yes, the buyer journey is complex and hard, but you don't need software, in my opinion, really to do that unless you're obsessed with this type of thing, which is why those vendors do well, because someone needs proof. They need to know like it came from here. This is the revenue from, from XYZ source, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, ultimately you just look at the, for me, at least you come back and you look at the aggregate marketing funnel. You understand how that's performing. If mm -hmm. you look at your total amount of costs and then you play that in terms of CAC, CAC payback and all the typical metrics and you're doing well, then like, let, let's increase, let's increase the budget across the board and, and figure out how we drive more. Right, right. And, uh, and my last question for this would be startups. What should they focus in on? And I think the answer is you've kind of explained it, but it comes down to revenue. But do you have anything else to provide there? In terms of like just general focus, like on anything or marketing in specific? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, marketing specifically, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess I'd repeat what I kind of said already. I mean, yeah. I think that, I mean, ultimately, like, well, one thing I'd say that maybe I'll say something a little bit different. So clearly customer, knowing your customer, create great content, like things like that. But 
I think that the biggest thing, especially if you're a startup and you're, let's say, even pre-seed, seed, or somewhere like very, very early stage, biggest thing you can do for yourself is niche down into an area where you feel like you've got a competitive advantage mm -hmm. and try to focus and be really successful there because so many people, like the, the, the thing I see that's always tough is like these products that have multiple use cases and they're like, oh, well, we could be good for this group and that group and also these industries and all these other people. And then you get a really, really hard situation where it's like, well, where do we focus? We don't have unlimited budget. So where do we put our money? Where do we invest our time? So the biggest thing, at least, and especially this is where like OmniLab, for example, like we focus on C to Series B, B to B SaaS, which frankly is still broad in and of itself. And then we only do paid media. So like that, that kind of like narrows your field a lot so that I can talk a lot about that specific area versus a whole lot of different things. So I'd say that you know, early stage companies, the better you can focus and the earlier on you can do that, which ideally you started the company because you already had good good contact with your customers. You identified a problem and you know them really well. That's why you created the product in the first place. That's idealistic. That doesn't happen all the time, but it really should. But if that if those things happen, then make sure you stay focused on that because your messaging is going to be a lot more pointed. Content's going to be better. Targeting is going to be better. Everything will just work better from a marketing perspective. So that's probably the, the, the additional thing I'd say in, in addition to just everything I've said on this podcast so far. Awesome. So yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we have one more segment. So uh, we have a, a, a strong um, following of uh, your emerging marketers or people that are trying to get into marketing. Mm. Um, so we have a, a, a segment on every show dedicated for them um, with just some general questions. Um, so first one is, um, what is your advice for someone who wants to create a B2B startup? And, and and create a client, clientele from scratch. Mm, like how would they first get like their first handful of customers? Something yeah. like that. The ideal way, this is not the quick way. I'm going to give you the ideal way and then I guess I'll, I'll go into one other. But the ideal way is that you've already built up an existing audience with your potential buyers is literally the best way to get your first clients. And I'll give you an example of the way that I did this. I was on LinkedIn, changed the way that I used LinkedIn a couple of years ago, and I just started posting. This is even before that Omni was really even a thing, uh, OmniLab. And I uh, just started talking about different things I was learning in marketing, sharing stories, et cetera, whatnot. I started to get more and more followers, more people that I was connecting with that were engaging with the content, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so ultimately, when we started OmniLab, then I already had all these relationships already with tons of people that were already looking for help to get, you know, paid, you know, launch new paid media campaigns or whatever it may be. So I literally didn't have to spend anything on paid media or cold email or do anything else minus just reach out to the people that were talking to me. And some of them, frankly, were coming to me uh, inbound shortly after about four or five months of investment of just like writing content on LinkedIn. Uh, so I think that that would be the biggest way is like create an audience first, and then that's a great way to kind of get into, um, you know, getting your first clients. If not, uh, then obviously you've kind of got to go the other route that's kind of more typical that most people talk about in blog articles and stuff, which is just like the hustle, right? Where you're going that's to awesome. friends, friends, family, cold email, referrals, you name it, scratching, doing everything you got to do to get it. I probably would definitely not use paid media is the uh, intro to that at all. That'd be very expensive. Mm -hmm. So I'd stay away from that until you've really got a little bit further along and feel confident in the model and you're obviously post-revenue at that point. So, um, so yeah, that, that's probably what I would say there. Perfect. Last question. Um, uh, when you're hiring someone, what are you looking for? Look, I, I believe you just did, right? Didn't you just have a hiring 
sequence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 we did. Yeah. So we actually just hired someone that actually just started this week, uh, actually, oh, on Monday. So yeah, it's very, very timely. Very relevant question. Yeah, so what, very are you, what are you looking for in the interview process when you're hiring? Yeah, for us, uh, usually the biggest thing is we we actually start a little bit and and I think reverse the uh, versus what other some people uh, might look at. But for me, I actually look more at soft skills first and and try to see like, is this person do they have good questions? Do they have good follow ups? Are they trying to figure out like how my business works or or how things work in marketing? That's a big one. I'm always looking for someone that has good questions. I find there's very few people that like actually want to dig deep and ask the follow up question. Uh, another one's like, you know, just someone that's generally curious. And like, I think that goes, falls right into, you know, questions as well. Ambitious, has good energy, is thinking about things, has ideas. Those are probably some of the core things that like we're looking for, because I know that if those, if that person has those types of qualities, they're much more likely to be successful, even if they don't have the exact skill set I'm looking for. So first it's like, can I get that person? And then obviously, of course, there's like the the culture stuff, which we're still a super small company. So I wouldn't even say we have a per se culture uh, mm-hmm. quite yet. But but I think the other thing is like, hey, what's the personality fit? Do we get along? Could I have beers with this person? Could I talk with them? Do we, you know, is there going to be a good relationship here? Um, so like those are like the little things. And usually like the first interview, especially I'm really casual and I'm just trying mm-hmm. to get another person. So like that's the big thing. And then obviously then then it's more like skill set stuff. And it's like, you know, getting into more situational things. And what I always love is I think I hate like stupid questions like strengths and weaknesses and, you know, tell me about this or that, you know, bullshit like that. But, you know, tell me, um, like give them a situation that like I'll give them a situation at Omni, for example. I might say, all right, we've got a B2B SaaS client, their seed stage, their ACV is this, sales cycle is this. What they're trying to do is they're trying to generate more pipeline. They've been operating on these channels, so on and so forth. So I basically paint a picture of the, a scenario for them and have them just kind of think through it. I was like, how would you think through that situation? I mean, like, what would you do from paid media? And we're, of course, hiring predominantly paid paid folks. So, like, how, how would you think about, like, developing a campaign out for that? What would be some of the dynamics and how would you actually create it? Like, could you walk me through those mm-hmm. steps? And I think that's really interesting because it, it's honestly not to see if someone's right or wrong. It's more to see, like, how they think through it. And mm-hmm. also it's to assess a little bit, like, how in-depth are they? How much knowledge do they have of paid media to paint the right picture and use some of the vocabulary that's needed and, and just how things tie together from a paid media perspective. So those are the two things. But you got I think you always got to start soft skills first because I'd rather have someone that's like perfect fit, like soft skills personality wise, like the things I just said, but doesn't really have all of it together on the skills side because I know that person will learn it very quickly and then learn even beyond that. So so those no, are my thoughts. Good. I don't know if you'd add to that, but those are that's, that's no, kind of I love how it. we think about I, it. I, no, I love it. That's uh, um, that's great stuff. I and love your culture. Um, if if it's someone I can have a beer with, that's really. I think that's what we all want when it comes to a culture, anyway. Especially if you're uh, going to be working a lot with that person, it's like yeah. Like can I hang out with this person? <laughs> yeah, and we don't have to be like best friends, of course. I'm not expecting like I'm no. not ex- like having like need to be friends with everyone, but you know, you just want to have like a. I mean, you're gonna be working together, right? And we're gonna be in it, you know. And there's gonna be you know shit. shit there's gonna be the, highs and lows. There's gonna be so. highs and lows. So like you know, we got to be ready to go through those together. So so yeah, I think uh, yeah, we had a uh, his name's Jackson that we just hired, and I think he's gonna be absolutely uh, great and just phenomenal. Uh, he just kind of fits that exact structure that we just kind of talked about and. Um, yeah, he's, he's hopefully off to the races here in the next couple of weeks, but very cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, uh, let us know when you're hiring again, we'll, we'll promote it. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. hundred <laughs> percent. That'd be great. Um, uh, Jonathan Bland, you can find him on LinkedIn. He's very active on LinkedIn and that's how, um, I, uh, we started talking to each other. So, um, easy to find. He's 
probably posting almost every day, I think. You're pretty just active, about, right? Yeah, just, just about, about every just day. about, yeah. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn or the podcast or OmniLab or whatever. But yeah, LinkedIn's where I spend all my time, so. Um, what's the name of your podcast again? It's just called Demand. So if you just type in like Demand. Demand, like Omni, you'll probably find it in Spotify and Google. Uh, working on a snafu with iTunes, something weird has happened, but <laughs> anyway. gotcha. Anyway, I had that same problem, by the way. Yeah, we'll have, <laughs> to, talk, how, we'll have to talk about it later then. Cause I uh, don't even know how I resolved it or we resolved it. I have a, a co-host, um, uh, who's been off for a little bit while, but oh, really? he resolved it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I'll ask him what he did. I'm going to call him up. I'm going to call him up. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, I'm going to chuck my beer and, uh, uh, and, and jump off. Sounds good. Great talking with you. Awesome, man. Sounds good. We'll see you.